0: This is how it feels, we are electric eels, going around like a wonder wheel.
1: Round, round, round.
0: My head does soft. don't need that old pole vault when you are ten feet tall. Okay, welcome to the Site Pen Podcast. This is episode five. I forgot to do the random number thing again, but I did watch Mr. Robot, Neil. Cool. So, that happened. I still stand by my comments <laughs> we'll talk again we'll talk yet again about that later sounds good um so i, I do recommend that anyone who's interested in a show that might be interesting um check out mr robot but don't don't come to me when you're disappointed <laughs> uh so i have as you just heard neil roberts with me hello neil i'm just happy to be here he's, this week he's just happy i'm not sure if you're just, just happy. happy before no, okay. Always. Well, as usual, I am also just happy enough that you're here. We have Nick Nisi. Hi, Nick. Hey. Hey, buddy. And today, our special guest of the day, Drumroll. I was gonna have a special effect. It didn't work. Okay. Uh, we have Mangala. Hello. Super happy to be here. It's my birthday. Mm. It's your birthday. That's why. That's that. This is your gift from us, right, guys? <laughs> yep. Yay. Happy birthday. Yeah, th- yeah, happy birthday. How how old are you now? Aw, that's so special, guys. You can't ask that. I can't. You have to Aww. ask how
2: you have to ask how old he was
0: in middle school. How old were you in middle school? <laughs> what year were you in middle school? Uh, yeah. I how old would it really work? 12 in middle school. <laughs> yeah, that didn't that didn't pan out. Good job, Neil.
3: <laughs> this is why that's Neil what, always does bug
0: of the week. This is what Brian Forbes, this is how Brian Forbes says you're supposed to ask people for their age. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um so, I'm trying to find my notes now because I left the tab. There we go. Um, so, today we are going to talk about, uh, I don't know how to say this politically correctly, overweight arrows, glandular problem arrows. Big Big fat, fat, big boned <laughs> arrows. Or, as some rude people on the internet have been calling them, fat arrows. Um, we are going to talk... JS package managers, because Mogla wants to burn them all to the ground. And some of us might have a different opinion or we might just like burning stuff too. Neil has a great bug of the week as usual because he doesn't know how to code well, <laughs> and then we're going to talk about windows and that brings me to our today's sponsor Today's uh, episode is sponsored by internet explorer six. Uh, <laughs> internet Explorer sets a new standard in privacy, reliability, and flexibility. Download it today to see how Internet Explorer is leading the way on the web. That's Internet Explorer 6, the best browser out there. I heard Internet Explorer
2: 6 lets you load things on the page without having to visit another URL. It's going to be crazy. Whoa, dude. Yeah. It's, that going is it's going to change the web.
0: Blowing my mind. Yep.
4: I used that for my FanDuel. Cool.
0: Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of uh, FanDuel, because you know, like, they were a sponsor, and now apparently they think that I was making fun of them and switching between all of the other sites like DraftKings and then FanDuel. So uh, this week our other sponsor is Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Um, play it because there's got to be a reason for Yahoo to exist. So please, please, if you have it in your hearts, play Yahoo's Daily Fantasy. There's really no other way at this point that they can make money. So please just play it. Um, And speaking of fantasy football, I destroyed Brian Forbes this week in fantasy. That's word on the street. It wasn't, wasn't even close. And, and I, and I lost another player every week now for the last four weeks. I've had a player gone for the year and I just, it's gotta be a record. Like no one loses as many people. Anyway, speaking of losing people, hi audience. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> so why don't you tell us um, Nicholas about big boned arrows?
4: Yeah. So this is continuing our, our series, right? The spotlights.
0: Ah You know what? <laughs> if I had done the drops, like I was going to one day, this podcast is going to be a much more professional. I'm going to do the drops. While we're sitting here, I'm going to make the drops. I'm going to press a button. You're going to hear the sound, and we're all going to know. This is the Spotlight On series. Last week, we talked about, if I scroll down to my notes, template strings. And this week, big-boned, fat arrows. Go ahead, Nick. Woo. That's the proper yeah, so. send-off. <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
4: so the ES2015 arrow syntax uh, is pretty cool, I think. It's a... Um kind of a shorthand syntax for anonymous functions. Um, so' that, they're short and fat arrows <laughs> yes, it, it uses the equal sign and then greater than sign together to make an arrow or a fat arrow. and um, you use that instead of writing out the word function um, as a vim user, I'm incredibly lazy, and typing function is wait, way too many characters wait wait wait
0: you you use vim.
4: You didn't know that I, yes, I, wow. I recently switched.
0: Oh man, blow my years, mind. Years ago. Okay.
4: <laughs> um, but the, there's some cool things about, um, the syntax that, that you can use. Like if you're using it in, uh, as a callback to, to pass around, for example, it's, um, it's pretty nice because you can, it, it has, it changes the way that scoping works for it. So scope is the, this keyword inside of the function and it's going to automatically inherit the scope from wherever it's defined, whatever the, the scope would be and wherever it's defined. So um, you wouldn't have to use call or apply to uh, specify it. You could just use fat error syntax or, or the, use that syntax and uh, the scope will be what you expect. Or, um, but that can also be problematic because you, you actually can't use call and apply if I understand it correctly, uh, that won't change it at all. And then there's um, different types of, of formatting for it. So you, you can pass arguments to it. You use parentheses for that. But if but you don't have to use the parentheses if you is it if you only have one argument, you don't have to use the parentheses. I think that might.
0: If be If you're it. asking me, I have <laughs> no idea. I'm asking
4: the the room. There's, yeah, there's definitely some
2: dollar sign syntax you can use to get arguments. I think it might be multiple ones as well, but I'm not sure.
4: Okay. But then you, uh, you give the arrow after the parentheses or not after the parentheses, and then you can have, um, curly braces, or if it's only going to be one expression, you don't, you can leave off the curly braces and just have it, um, Just run that one statement, and then it will implicitly return the value of that statement. So that's kind of nice if you're using it inside of uh, like the array functions, for example. If you needed to map something, you can quickly um, run that and then do something like multiply it by 8 or something like that. Uh, And you can write it all in one line instead of having to span up to three lines if you're making your code look pretty. So that's pretty nice. But I know that I maybe, um, one person on this podcast who likes it while others don't. So Neil, (laughs) did you have any, uh, issues with, well, before we get to that,
0: I just wanted to make a correction here because (laughs) I feel like a really bad person because I was sitting here trying to gently tiptoe around calling it fat arrow. (laughs) And it turns out that's just what horrible people call it. It's actually the arrow function expression. And now I want to apologize to all of the short, big boned arrows out there for calling them fat arrows. That wasn't very nice of me. Go ahead though, Neil. I would so my problem with it. Why do you hate fat people? Why do you hate fat arrows? I don't hate them. I,
2: I've used other languages before, I think is the big problem with it. Um, I've seen lambdas before. I've seen um, passing blocks before, uh, and I've seen them look a lot better. Um, I don't like that it's a million different uh, variations. Like you can, there's an implicit return. You can manually return. You can wrap it in parentheses, or you can wrap it in curly braces. You don't have to wrap it in curly braces. Um, it changes context in a way that is not necessarily uh, obvious to people who don't know the inner workings of JavaScript context, which is already fairly confusing, and now it's which even is more, most people now it's even more confusing. Yes. And on top of that, it it overrides the default behavior to the behavior that people think it has in the first place. It's just, uh, it's a whole lot of uh, of switching things around to work in a completely different way. Um, and one of my, like one of the things I I compare it to a lot is uh, when uh, in Objective-C, uh, which you'd use to program in iOS, uh, one of the things that they did is uh, if you pass a, a block is what their anonymous functions are called uh, to the end of a function call you just put it in curly braces uh, and everything else is uh, you just it, it's how functions can be called so you just pass the block as the last one and you end up basically being able to define your own if statement kind of stuff um, I think Python's lambdas are a, a lot cleaner as well. I just I don't I think it could have been way better. I don't think there's anything necessarily inherently wrong with wanting something like this. I just am not a fan of the the way that it the syntax and I'm not a fan of the way that the context gets changed.
4: So do you think that it won't grow on you?
2: I think I'll use it. Like I, I definitely think that I'll
0: use it. I just but you'll be disgusted by it the whole time.
4: Yeah, like, I mean,
2: right now, every time I see it, it takes me a while before I actually figure out what it's doing. Uh, like, I have to stop and look at it and think about it, and I don't really have that same response to most other syntaxes.
4: I agree, and I, like, it's gotten a lot better after using it and staring at it quite a bit. Uh, the implicit return sometimes still gets me just because I'm looking for, my, my eye doesn't quite identify that as a function yeah, that one's tough. quite yet.
2: And it also has like a similar syntax to what you would uh, define as a a parameter type, right? I think it has the same syntax as that. So it's just, I don't know, it's a little all over the place and and it it overrides a bunch of different ideas with new ideas that don't work the same way as you would expect them to, as they do in other places. And
0: is it, I mean, is it basically just sugar? Like, is there anything that it's doing that is that different or is it just, Kind of this fast, you know, a quick Sugar. way to do yeah. a one-off thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you could you could bind a function to a context like that already exists. That's an officially supported um, part of uh, ES two thousand fifteen. Like you can bind functions. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a different style of doing the same thing.
4: Right. So, like, I think it's been a while since I've looked at the um, the Dojo two. Um, JS hint RC, but is this, uh, it, it's discouraged, right. In our style guide for most use cases. 85. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think if I remember correctly, and it might've changed, but I, I'm just wondering, like, let's say if hypothetically you were in a, an environment where you could use these, like you were writing node using node four, and you could use these all over the place without worrying would you use them in every situation where you're going to be providing an anonymous callback function?
2: I like them just... Or would you still use... Them? I like them just for, for lambda equivalents, basically. I think that's a good okay. a good way to use them. Anytime that you are just going to be putting in like a single line with a return value. But I don't... Yep. Yeah. Using them for longer things... I, I find, I'd find it to be hard to read. I think that's the biggest thing.
3: That was what I found. There was a little bit of an adjustment period, but I feel like when used appropriately, it's a nice syntax. When you just want a very quick, simple function, then it's space-saving, it's clear and concise, but if you get longer, more complicated functions, then it just gets kind of confusing.
4: Yeah, But see, I think that that's still because it's so early on in its existence, but like in two or three years when we're looking at all of this async code using promises maybe uh, or other things that'll need callbacks and i think that it'll just kind of be second nature you'll you'll see that and you'll just automatically know i feel like it'll grow i'll try to find a, i'll here.
2: try to find an example of uh, swift's block syntax so that we can link to it in the guide cuz i find it very interesting
4: oh. okay cool
0: That is cool but yeah. that you don't, that firstly, Mongola, you didn't want to burn it down. I think that was <laughs> a positive step. When we did the pre-show meeting, Mongola was very angry about a lot of things. Fire's
3: that, the solution to a good many problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sure is. Spiders.
0: <laughs> Bears. <laughs> oh, at some point it gets cruel with the animals that you burn, isn't it? Uh, I always, I always yeah. go too large. There's a line, yeah. There is a line. Um Oh, on less psychopathic topics, um, Mangala, speaking of wanting to burn things down, why don't you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on package managers, JS package managers, I should say.
3: Well, I feel like it would be nice if we were in a a nicer situation with package managers. (laughs) As some of our listeners may be aware, NPM3 is in development and, uh, ships by default with node 5, and npm 3 finally gives us flat packages by default, which means that you no longer have these eternally nested structures of node modules folders for all of your node packages, npm packages. Uh, Unfortunately, this is still a very new thing, so there's still a lot of code out there, that will especially affect Windows users as the Windows file system manipulation APIs have limitations in the path lengths that they can gracefully handle. So it's kind of easy to end up with a project with so many dependencies so deeply nested that you can't actually delete things from Windows Explorer. So that's kind of a hassle. And I feel like it would be nice if we had just thought ahead when JavaScript package managers were being developed. Uh, Dependency management has been a a topic in computing for years, and there are programming languages and computing environments with more sophisticated package management, including version management. And uh, right now the situation can be pretty hairy. I'm, I'm kind of wondering where are we at right now? Are we getting a net benefit, or maybe less than a net benefit from use of uh,
0: package managers like npm and bower? Well, one question that I have um, when it comes to you know, some of the drawbacks or annoyances that people have, um, and this you know, could you give maybe give the uh, listeners an example of why it would be problematic to have um, you know nested dependencies um is it just that kind of annoying thing that is it more like an OCD like uh I have three of the same thing um or is there a practical reason why that becomes a problem uh definitely
3: a practical reason is that it's taking up more space on the file system you know for every project that has a, a certain dependency and some dependencies become very common and widespread. Then you have a separate copy for each project that has a de- has that dependency. Yeah, but aside
0: from files like file space, which I couldn't care less about, with you know storage being super cheap and I you just thought I couldn't care less
3: about file space until I ran into ten minute build times for a JavaScript project. <laughs> yeah. Now suddenly I'm thinking maybe we should not have automated all this stuff. We've we've given people the tools to do terrible things and they've gone and done terrible things kind of thoughtlessly.
0: Well, I, I guess is, I, I, my question is more is is the problem, the dependencies, like is there an actual technical problem there or is it actually more just how they've been abused in, in certain situations or how it can slow things down? Um, like is it a problem because one thing depends on a version of you know, this library, but this other thing depends on a slightly different version. Is that a problem? Or is is that, you know, completely doesn't, ma- doesn't matter?
3: So that issue is version management. And I think that actually, because this is the easy solution for version management is just say everybody gets their own copy. I think that sidestepping the issue of version management was probably part of the driving decision for how we ended up where we are. It's like you can... Uh, you can have software that intelligently manages versions and prevents duplication, or you can have what we have right now is where there's no intelligent management of versions other than just saying everybody gets their own copy of everything. So, but, so that's, that seems
4: to be fixed, or at least going in a better direction in NPM 3, right? Indeed, yeah. With it trying to be as flat as possible?
0: Yeah. yeah, so now what? Now what's your problem with it, huh? We still have power. <laughs> Also, well, so NPM is written for the server
3: side, and NPM has, you know, the local file system benefits. NPMs, or uh, Node, rather, NPM is written for Node, and Nodes requires module resolution. We'll search in numerous places for a module. If you say, load me this module, it'll check here, it'll check there, it'll check everywhere, it'll go up a whole tree of directory structures and say, here's your module. And there's not, there's very trivial performance penalty for that. But as we use these tools for front end development or mixed back and front end development, you can't do that so freely uh, in the web environment. You know, uh, you have to very specifically specify where your module is expected to be loaded from. if you tell your browser to go making requests to try and find it here, there, and everywhere, you're going to get a big uh, network connection penalty.
4: Would that be solved by using something like, so npm is a common js module repository, right? So if, if you use something like browserify then you would introduce a build step, but you could build a single flat file that includes every module you need.
3: Yeah, that's definitely what you want to do. But so that gets me to another issue that I have with these package managers and the default deployment methodology that's been adopted is that when you have a, a project that's going to become a dependency for other projects, the default is to just publish the project, the whole project. And as JavaScript developers know, a typical project has a lot of files that are not relevant to consumers, especially with, uh, you know, concatenation and minification as an option. Ideally your project would have a single file that is distributed to other projects using your project as a dependency, so they just get a single concatenated minified file, and that's it. But instead, we have projects where you get the entire project and all of its test code and all of its documentation and whatnot. And for people who aren't developing that project, they just want it as a dependency, that's just all wasted time and space. And so you get to the build step, and now the build step takes a super long time because it has to copy all of these irrelevant files for all of these duplicated dependencies. So are you saying, like,
4: like if I was creating an NPM module in TypeScript, for example, that it would include, like, and I install that and use it somewhere in, in another project, then I would be pulling down the TypeScript files as well as the JavaScript? Or I'd have to include the JavaScript, the built JavaScript?
3: I'm not sure there's any standard for this yet at this point. I know that that's something we've been tackling as we work on Dojo 2, because we are developing it in TypeScript, is that we want to have a distribution that can be installed via NPM or Bower that is JavaScript, so that when you download it, you know, when you install this dependency, you have immediately runnable code rather than having a bunch of TypeScript that doesn't run in any environments without having a build step. So to answer your question, it's kind of up to the project, individual projects. They may decide that their repository is going to have both their TypeScript source and their built source, or they may decide that, and I think this is probably a better way to go, but it's more of a hassle for the project maintainers for sure is to have a source repo that has the TypeScript source and then a distribution repo that has the built JavaScript files.
4: Okay, I could be wrong, but I thought that that's the be- the big benefit of something like npm over bower, for example, because npm you would publish to that and it's not reliant on your your like GitHub repo, for example. It's the built source that you would package up and, and send up and use. But Bower, on the other hand, is more of just a metadata re- repository and it's going to use GitHub for everything. So when you pull something in from GitHub or from Bower, you're actually getting the GitHub repo. But Node or NPM, I thought it would just be the, the um, whatever files are specified in the, the packages manifest file or their, their package.json.
3: Uh, Definitely, I think that the project managers should be able to specify that like an NPM. But what we're seeing in practice, unfortunately, is a lot of uh, projects published on NPM are including more files than are strictly necessary for somebody who just wants to install this as a dependency.
0: So it's not really clear, Mangala. Who hurt you? Is it the package managers <laughs> or the packagers? Maybe, maybe you want to. Mostly, it's the users.
3: So you you feel used. I feel used. Okay. Used and abused.
0: Well, I just want to know if, if intense therapy will help you. If if waiting for new versions will help you, or if you feel like. There's something else that needs to happen that, that we haven't touched on yet. I'm glad you. And just go ahead and share your, share your thoughts and feelings with us. I'm glad you asked this question, Tori. That's what I'm here for. Especially
3: about waiting for new versions. Wait patiently for new versions and test
0: carefully as you upgrade. Well, you can, you'll have a lot of time to wait as you build these large projects that include all of <laughs> these, you know, all these directories. I was uh, excited
3: for the arrival of npm three, and I went and installed that right away, and deduped my dependencies right away, and uh, broke everything right away. So you know, just keep in mind that there are there's a lot of code out there that's been very dependent on the nested package structure that npm has had as its default for years now, and it's there's going to be a transition period as projects get more comfortable with the notion of deduplicated packages. And then I don't know how we're going to address the issue of versioning as that arises. I I believe uh, JSPM is addressing that. Um, And they are automatically generating a loader configuration to help you deal
0: with multiple versions of packages. Well, if we're having a problem with all these different versions that just don't work together, I think we need to come up with another standard version to do everything. Um, you know, to to so we have these things like NPM and and Bower and JSPM, and you know, maybe we just need a wrapper around all of them that yeah. can handle everything properly. Sounds like a the good one idea. true um, package manager, like com, a common package manager <laughs> or <laughs> universal <laughs> package manager. Something like that. I'll, I'll, you know, kick around some ideas and names, but I think we're onto something here. So, <laughs> um, do you guys want to say so anything that, else uh, on that topic? There, Nick, did you want to pipe in? Because I know that you vehemently and angrily disagree with absolutely everything Mongla says. Not just on this just, topic, everything he <laughs> <else>. says.
4: <laughs> I just remember the days of starting a new project without package managers, without Bower or npm. And, you know, having to spend the day putting together the, you know, the tools I'm going to use, bringing in jQuery or whatever um, frameworks I'm going to need. And then, you know, do I do I keep that in version control in my repository? Or how do I manage that? Do I just have these files there? I have to make sure I'm using the same version and everyone else is using the same version. So it just, and then and then later on going and upgrading that, and then you have to You know, you look at your your diffs between your commits, and you have a massive commit that makes no sense because it's just upgrading from one version of the framework to another version, and that's not your code anyway, so you don't care about looking at it. Like, to me, it's it's infinitely better having these package managers. There are problems with them, um, but it does solve a lot of problems, too. And it lets us get up and running a lot faster, I think, when we want to start a new project when we want to add or remove dependencies we don't have to have those locked into our repository it's you just basically update the uh, config file for the package manager and you're done
0: yeah yeah mangala
3: you're yeah now what done in the sense that you're ready to start waiting (laughs) uh no i those are (laughs) definitely all valid points Uh, The situation before package managers was pretty bad. On the other hand, it made you ideally thoughtful about what dependencies you included. (laughs) And you would look for a single minified script file to include as a dependency. Whereas now you're just like, oh, just add this package. And you hit a button and it downloads a thousand files. And you're like, oh, okay. And now you have you know 50 dependencies of a thousand files each, and now you, you know, run your build step, and suddenly you're dealing with tens or hundreds of thousands of files. And I feel like this, the convenience of this automation, has been abused and led people to be less thoughtful while, you know while I want they're putting a, a project together.
4: So, well, assuming that you're you're doing best practices, and like this seems like it would only be. An issue in development, you're bringing down all of these files, and you might have, you know, thousands of them. Um, but before you go to production, you would likely run a build, and you'd want the unminified versions of those files to run through your build step, right? Like we we would do with a Dojo build, for example. And don't
0: forget that now that we can use fat arrows, it's going to have way less code to bring down.
4: That's <laughs> <laughs> just w- way less work for the minifier.
0: What if? your development
3: process is not sufficiently separated from your deployment process and you have to deploy repeatedly during development. That's a whole
0: separate issue.
4: I think so. And I think that that, yeah, that falls under
0: don't do things badly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Not that you're in control of it sometimes. Um, But you know what I actually want to see out of it. And this is probably the most ridiculous thing ever. And I don't know how you would solve it. But one thing that, um, because there are 500 million packages for any given problem that's solved now 90 different ways, um, I often, I was working on something, just a personal thing, and I, I kept, I would download something and try it, and it wouldn't do what I wanted. Um, you know, so then I would go and install, you know, npm install this other thing, right? And then at the end I realized that I never uninstalled the other stuff. And that was a pain because like I had to deal with figuring out which ones I was and wasn't using. And it was kind of annoying. And I really just want like a NPM try, like try this out and then just keep the command running and then like I can do some stuff. And then like when I go to close that window or something, it would be like, Hey, this is, you haven't actually done it yet. Do you want to do it? I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. Nope. Nuke it. I don't know. I'm just, I, I get annoyed that I forget that stuff and then at the end I have this gigantic list that I have to cull through. Um, hmm. And that's just me, like I, I get that if I just didn't do things poorly, uh, I wouldn't have that problem. But I found that to be something that I hadn't realized I was doing until the end because you don't really get a, you don't really see um, that list unless you go look at it. You know, it's kind of hidden away and you don't really notice what you've downloaded and, and stuff. So.
4: You're talking about the package.json, or yeah, the... yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I agree, and you could use, you know, Git for example to, to just diff that file and look at the changes that have happened and say, oh, oh absolutely, yeah. and
0: that's what I had to do. But just the fact that I had to do that and I didn't really want to do that, like I wanted to try oh, sure. something and see if it worked for me. But to, in order to just try it out, it's kind of to Manglo's point about you know, and I guess it will be solved in the new npm. Um, but you know just to try something, I'd have to down you know, I'd have to npm install it and then it starts downloading more and more and more stuff. And it's just like, hey, I just want to try this one thing. To where a couple of times it was faster for me to just view source on like the GitHub, you know, go view the, the single file that I actually needed from GitHub and just copy it and paste it in because it was faster than NPM installing it because of all the other stuff it decided it needed that I already had. But anyway, that's just, that is a um, designer writing code. So that's, these are the things that I ran into, so ignore me. Um, So moving on to our next topic, we're gonna talk about the bug of the week. And as we said in the pre-show meeting, my bug of the week was the reasoning that uh, we are recording this on Monday instead of Thursday, is that I got sick, couldn't talk, I'm still a little sick, and that was my bug of the week was some sort of cold virus. Um, Neil, I, I heard that you found one that was even worse.
2: Yeah, I had fun this week. So well, to start out with the, my topic of the week, which leads into the bug of the week is that <clears throat> I had not used, uh, this tool before, uh, there's a tool called uh winery. They apparently allow you to pronounce it any way that you want and I like, I like that pronunciation, um, but it's a... Uh, Pro tip, a it looks
3: closer to Wiener.
2: <laughs> Wiener, yeah, it does look a lot like that. Uh, it, it lets you run a proxy that you can uh, load on your phone uh, and desktop software that you can open up in your browser. Uh, and it lets you interact with uh, the DOM and code uh, and do quite a bit of uh, what I like to call magic uh, on a mobile browser. Uh, From your desktop. Did you
0: come up with this term magic
2: magic? Yes. Okay. I wasn't familiar with it Yeah, it's a new thing. It's it's an acronym, but I'm not going to tell you what it means Uh, and does have to do with the wieners, uh, maybe so uh, The the reason that I ended up running it is because uh, if I was dealing with mobile Safari that that's pretty easy to debug Uh, But I was dealing with mobile Chrome. Uh, We had a a bug that we could only uh, reproduce in mobile Chrome uh, so I started running, running Winery and the issue that we were seeing uh, was you would uh, click on a dropdown button uh, and all of a sudden just one area of the page would get a lot bigger. So you'd click on a dropdown and it would suddenly just one area of the page would get a whole lot bigger and things the dropdown would be in the wrong place because the page font size got different during the interaction with the item, and I thought that we must have been uh, setting some some CSS rule on that node that was kind of conflicting with some of the styles that they had set up, or uh, maybe we were placing a, uh, an element somewhere off the screen and it was zooming the page in, but then that didn't make any sense because uh, it should zoom the whole page in, it shouldn't just zoom one section of the page. And so I started uh, going through the DOM with uh, Winery and I looked at the computed styles and I could see that uh, at one part of the DOM, the computed font size was 11 pixels. And then the uh, element right underneath it uh, had a font size of 18 pixels. So I had just a vastly different font size. Uh, And I could not explain it. I went through all of the different... Uh, styles that were being applied to each node, and there was, there was nothing. I mean, you could end up with some weird reasons that font sizes would change, but there was just nothing that could explain it. Uh, and I even made all sorts of charts to figure out if there was some sort of pattern to it. So I changed the document font to like eight, and it kind of scaled the other size down a little bit as well so that it wasn't 18 anymore, it was some lower value. And I I charted it all out and tried to see if there was any pattern to it. And there was a general pattern, like if you set the document size smaller, there was kind of a a drop in the size of that other node, but it wasn't proportional at all. And it definitely wasn't linearly proportional. So I was kind of completely lost. And I tried all sorts of Googling to see if there was uh, a problem. And I... I was stuck like a day on it. Uh, And the next day I managed to get exactly the right keywords there. uh, And I found out that there is this uh, behavior that mobile WebKit does, uh, which is that it automatically adjusts the text sizes of nodes depending on some sort of rules that I do not know the pattern of. And what you were able, the way that I was able to fix it is that there's this rule called dash webkit dash text dash size dash adjust that you can specify and it will disable the automatic test size adjustment of mobile webkit. Uh, And it doesn't do anything in the desktop browsers, although I think there might have been a bug with one of them where it was enabled even though it shouldn't have been. Uh, And that that completely fixes the bug. It it was just, it was the weirdest thing though because it it didn't do the text size adjustment until you actually interact with, with the page. Uh, and the same same bug is present in Mobile Safari, but you couldn't really ever see it because it started with the text size adjusted, so it looked correct to begin with, even though it was still doing this weird text size adjustment. So yeah, just a, a very, very baffling bug that, I it's not really a bug.
0: Are you sure it's a bug and, and not a feature? It's supposed to be a feature. Like technically you're right. <laughs> I know you're making a joke. No, that was I. I as I said it, I'm like I didn't mean that to be a joke, yeah. but I use the joke. No, that's actually, as I say, it, you're saying. Well, maybe it's not a bug. Yeah. Okay, so it's a feature. I'm it correctly. The re- the fact that it's enabled by
2: default, kind of, uh, is a little bit frustrating, and it's understandable though. I imagine there's some situations where this could be important. I would only worry about it if you were dealing with extremely small text sizes. I don't know why it would need to do all sorts of crazy stuff when you're dealing with an 11 pixel font size, but it, it was just, it was just the weirdest bug because there was no, at least they could have put in some sort of uh, style rule that would, would have told me that this is what they were doing. But I just, there was no way to explain the difference in font size from one node to the child node. It's none at all. This is very, very
0: confusing.
3: Yeah. It sounds like a feature that in practice ends up behaving more like a bug.
0: Yeah. Only in some weird situations. I bet it works great. 95% of the time. (laughs) I don't, I don't know how often I see
3: it. I
2: don't know how often it does this sort of behavior. That's Uh, how
0: great bugs are.
2: Yeah. I can imagine. I think that, that, that you kind of would see it if you're dealing with a page that is designed to run on really wide monitors. But for the average webpage, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how often you would even see this happen.
0: Well, if I ever do see it happen, it's great to know those weird little things. And I think that's one of those things that separates um, someone just getting into this and they just read, oh, well, this is how you do CSS. And and then they expect it all to just work. And then it's like, yeah, that's not gonna actually happen the way you think it is. Um, And that's just those fun little things that you suddenly realize I just spent a whole day on this ridiculous thing. Yeah. How um, long did you spend on that, by the way?
2: Well, in terms of how much, it took me four hours to just figure out, you know, to to step through the DOM and to see what was and wasn't working. Uh, Probably took me like four hours to do that, and then I just did something else for the rest of the day. And then it was the next morning. I, I mean, I Googled for a little while, and it was the next day that I actually Googled for the right thing and and figured out what needed to be done.
0: Yeah, I like to find those things and then just ignore them for a while and then hope to hell that something's (laughs) going to happen somewhere else that just fixes it. And then finally at the end, I'm like, ah, it didn't get fixed. Now I'm going to Google for it. And then you Google some ridiculous phrase like Mm -hmm. CSS font size bigger and you get a bunch of things about how to use jQuery to like make the next element bigger and then someone saying you could do it in CSS and then you're like, this has nothing to do with what I want. I think it was actually, um, those
2: are fun. I think it was actually using WebKit instead of mobile Chrome, like to, to try to figure out if it was a WebKit problem. I think that's what really uh, enabled me to fix it. Cause I, I had been assuming it was mobile Chrome related. Ah, nice. Yeah. But it's a, it's a WebKit bug, which Chrome uses. Well, that is a fun one. Yeah.
4: But you weren't able to reproduce that in, Mobile Safari. I could no, right?
2: I could see it in Mobile Safari, but it wasn't doing it was loading with the text size adjusted. Whereas in mobile Chrome oh. it wasn't doing the text size adjustment until you interacted with the page. So okay. it would jump in mobile Chrome, but it was already applied in Mobile Safari.
0: This is why you should be getting paid the big bucks. You know. <laughs> yeah. For for all the stress for all the that. stress. Yeah. yeah, Pretty much. I, my shortened life. Yeah. Speaking of stress and bugs, this next topic is one that is weird because, uh, when we first started doing the podcast, we were coming up with ideas, uh, Nick suggested that because we have a couple of people here that use windows, we should have one of them on, uh, Mongla happens to be one of them. Uh, and we were going to ask, uh, you know, just like, what, what, what's wrong with you? Why would you use windows? And <laughs> it's awful. I don't get it. Like what magic are you using? I don't know. I don't know what the point was or the plan was, but we got Mongol on, uh, and we, we were talking about it last week, uh, in the, the pre-meeting and we kind of realized we, maybe windows isn't as bad as we thought it was, or isn't as bad as it was years ago when we first were like, when we were using windows starting out, and then switched to the Mac because it was better. Um, Things have changed, apparently. So with all of that said, Monglo, what the heck? Do you use Windows? Ugh, it's so terrible. How do you get (laughs) by every day? I am one of
3: that rare species of front-end developer who uses Windows. And I did find it to be a bit of a hassle at first. It seemed like, you know, for some years there front end development was heavily geared towards the Unix world. And, uh, it's gotten better though. I don't, I don't even notice it so much anymore. So I will, uh, certainly answer any questions.
0: Well, I from think one of the things, things that, Neil. uh, I said when, when we were talking about this was, oh, so do you have to just use Sigwin for everything? And I think you were like, oh, I don't think I've touched that in a long time. Which was kind of surprising to me, um, so when I think of the tools that that I you know my, my minimal self uses um, a lot of times I will I mean of course you have git and stylus and uh, node um, and how do you how do you deal with those on the Windows side because I just jump into a command line and type in some stuff
3: as do I they. They all, for the most part, work pretty well in Windows these days. Um, and you do that through a bash script? Actually, I do have... So when you install Git on Windows, it will install a bash shell for you. But actually, I don't even use that very often. Don't find or, it necessary. I just shell, use Windows, Windows command uh, command.exe, or I think they shortened it to CMD. .exe these days.
2: Yeah, what, what, are the, don't, what are the little code snippet things called in Windows? Batch, batch files. Scripts? Batch
3: files, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. batch programming is not fun. But for what it's worth, I don't think Windows shell, I mean, Unix shell scripting is very much fun either. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. It's pretty hideous stuff. Yeah. What? If I... Madness. But there, I, there have been times where projects have been clearly... Uh, focused on being run and deployed in Unix environments and all they provided was bash scripts which were not runnable in Windows even with a bash show so I would just open up the script and see what it was doing and manually reproduce those steps which is totally manageable if there's you know five or ten steps but beyond that it's like okay I guess I'm not using this project (laughs) But it's been a long. See, that's where I think been a long time since I've run into the, a case that severe.
4: That's where I think writing shell scripts in something like Node, which is very well supported on all of the platforms, would be the way to go. And you can use um, modules that will, like I think there's shell.js, which lets you uh, type shell commands in a a Bash sort of way, and it will translate that automatically when it's run to uh, to be able to run that on Windows or osx or or whatever,
3: Yeah, I cool. suspect that the adoption of node has made things nicer for us Windows developers because things that in the past would have been bash shell scripts with maybe some afterthought of maybe making a batch file. Those are now more commonly written in node or managed you know with NPM or grunt. So we have more cross-platform tools for project file management and configuration and dependency management, and for the most part, they work pretty well. So, do you ever run into issues
4: with with um, applications you're working on or, or projects you're working on with uh, you know that that aren't you know using uh, bash scripts or anything like that? They're using like Grunt tasks or other things. Do you ever run into any issues running those grunt tasks? Are there problems with some things that don't work quite right?
3: Oh, I'm just curious if of there's something don't that don't work quite right, but it's usually not OS specific. <laughs> <laughs> uh, package manager specific. Can you think of anything that might be? <laughs> yeah. I think I have run into a, f- a few things, very few things over the years. You know, where it's clearly a Windows specific issue. But usually, it gets resolved. You know the good projects have their issue lists, and a bunch of people scream bloody murder. Ah, I updated today, and this doesn't work on Windows. and it's like, oh, oops, I broke that on Windows because I don't use Windows, but yeah. you know it's fixed that day or the next day.
2: I'm kind of curious what uh, will you use for your development tools, like your uh, IDE. Uh, or your FTP,
3: IRC, uh, mail app, stuff like that. I've tried various IDEs and never quite found one that does the core task of being a text editor yep. and supporting JavaScript very well to my liking. So I actually use Notepad++ for some years. Yeah, I used to use that and uh, was, Me too. was pretty fond of it. It had it was just very fast, and it there were some features of it that were seemingly small, but they were just so perfectly implemented to my tastes that when I used another editor, it was like, what is this, caveman tools? <laughs> and when Sublime Text came along, they finally provided a very nice editing experience, and of course, Sublime Text is cross-platform. Yeah, I didn't even realize and, that. And uh, Adam is kind of terrible but also kind of great and so i'm currently using atom and uh you know if you have a reasonably fast computer then i think <laughs> atom is that's their that must be their goal is like they're pro they're thinking five years ahead you know it's not super terrible now so in five years computers will be fast enough that it'll be not maybe not terrible at all i
2: think the new uh <laughs> was it uh, visual studio code i think is pro- cross-platform too is it? Yep. Wow,
1: yeah, I, I didn't think realize so. that.
3: Oh, well, yeah, it's built on Electron
2: as well, I believe. So, Well, yeah, it's a Microsoft product, so I imagine that they tried to make it
4: cross-platform.
0: Oh, yeah, that would have been my first <laughs> guess as well.
4: <laughs> um. So wait a minute. I have a question about Atom uh, because you just bashed it for being too slow, and you say that in five years you might be able to run it a little bit faster. So you were just telling us... Before the show started, they have 16 gigs of RAM. <laughs> How many gigs of RAM do you think you'll have in five years that we'll be able to run Atom?
3: I don't think it's a RAM issue so much as a CPU and disk IO issue. As do, you SSDs, have a, a, I, do you have an SSD? I am not using an SSD, You're which not? is why my build processes take 10 minutes. Oh, well, to there you copy go. All like, of those yeah. tens of thousands <laughs> of files.
0: Yeah, if you, well, firstly, Windows has, and I, I know I just went through this with a Windows 10 um, machine. For some reason, doing anything with file operations is unbearably slow. Oh, you want to unzip that file or that has, you know, or unzip the zip file that has a couple thousand files in it? That's going to be an hour. Wait, wait, were like, you using so
3: Windows built-in zip capability? Because that's just Is uns- it a capability?
0: does it have capabilities cuz it seemed like it it barely functions i, I um, agree
3: with you it should it's i don't know what they did there they did it so wrong
0: that they should have reverted that immediately i it has, i mean i i don't know i just feels like it's always been really awful but if you, but you
3: install 7zip on windows it zips right along
0: huh. interesting I i'll just, give that a
3: shot i just replaced a friend's uh, hard drive on her laptop with an ssd and she's like wow It's like I have a new computer. And yeah, I was an aging laptop with an old Windows 7 installation that was just getting bogged
0: down. And now it's super
3: fast and nice. SSDs are nice. So
0: you haven't done that on yours because... I have three terabytes of space. Well, you can have both. Fusion
3: drives,
4: man. Or or
0: can you have both? I guess that's the question. But I'm pretty sure you can.
3: I do. Um, I can because I build my own computers.
0: So. Yeah, but I mean, I have I have you know my laptop. I I switched out with the SSD as well. But um, you know on my iMac. I have a fusion drive, and you know so I have what two terabytes. But it's you know SSD is 256 gigs or some nonsense like that, and it's you know. Really super fast, you have all the storage that I need, so I think you should do that. So, build uh, times might go faster.
2: I have three SSDs in my nine and a half year old Mac Pro that all that handle different tasks. It's really, I like it a lot.
4: I think that makes such a difference. I have a, a I don't know, a 2007 or 08 Mac, uh, iMac that doesn't have an SSD, and but it has everything else is pretty much the same as my laptop, but it is just night and day difference.
2: Big help. Yeah, I'm looking so at to, I'm looking
3: at Adam now. Adam Adam looks really nice. I hadn't I hadn't messed with it before. I've been mostly enjoying it, and you know, since I have a reasonably fast computer, it's not often that its slowness affects me. Is TypeScript pretty I, good on it? I that was a big deciding factor. It's okay. got the greatest TypeScript uh, environment that I've used so far.
0: Cool. So what exactly pushes you to try a new editor? Like I've been using sublime text for a couple years, I think. And I don't even remember. I think everyone was just using it and I was using something else and I was like, Oh, I'll give it a shot. And then I use it because I paid for it. And so I have it, <laughs> but like, why it's would I try just what people do until else?
4: they find Vim.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying
3: new editors and, For the most part quickly finding i don't like them Uh, i have tried vi i have tried emacs neither to the point of real proficiency but frankly i'm a, a fairly visual person and vi and emacs just look like they're straight out of the 70s even the most modern nice distributions that you can install on windows
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree. They're terrible and I don't (laughs) understand anyone who uses them and they're awful people. So I I I, I pretty, I pretty much have a, I would say I have an expert knowledge of the Vi shortcuts
2: and I really don't like using it. That's just me.
4: I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to have to move my hand like five inches over to a mouse or a trackpad. I
0: pick up the soda can on your desk and throw it away. (laughs) I was just going to say that the reason that I, (laughs) the reason I would switch
2: to a new IDE is automation stuff. And that's really where um, I u- I still use TextMate a lot, and they have um, they have these bundles that do a bunch of different tasks. And I can use like if I'm trying to do any sort of text manipulation at all or language manipulation, they usually have a bundle that will do really really advanced uh, text editing. Um, and and I'll I'll just use those bundles all the time. Like I, I automate as many tasks as I can through through. Uh, bundles or packages or whatever uh, the IDE has. I mean, that's why Adam looks interesting because it seems to have similar type of behavior.
3: And it's all built on web technology, which as yep. web developers, we're all familiar with. So if I want to go editing Adam's theme, it's not some bizarro, obscure XML syntax, it's editing CSS.
0: Yeah. Wait, I thought you said it wasn't a bizarro <laughs> syntax. <laughs> <laughs> get the get the joke there because it's awful. CSS is bad. It is, <laughs> but it's a badness that we're pretty familiar with. Yeah, I I often wonder if someone came out with something better, if I would even recognize that it's better because I'm so used to how terrible this is. That you know, it'd just be like, well, it's, I, don't, I don't get that. I, I don't like it. Um, I'd be, it'd be all fat arrow. <laughs> I'd be like this is scary. Um, yeah, so I wish that. I had more fireworks for that segment. I felt like I I really was surprised and I still have no desire to use windows, but it's nice to see that you guys are plugging right along and and, you know, getting stuff done. It's really adorable.
4: Uh So I have a question. Mongoli. you have a Mac laptop
3: as well, right? I often forget that, but I do have one on loan he to me. He treats it
0: how I treat my uh, Windows laptop. <laughs> I have a
3: Mac laptop on loan to me.
4: Okay. Right. So, I mean, you have one that you could theoretically use every day. Is there a reason that you don't really give that a thought? I'm just curious Like, inertia. is there a reason why you wouldn't try, other than inertia, is there a reason why you wouldn't try X?
3: No. I'm
4: or or a Linux. I'm or open
3: to trying it, but my years of trying Linux, those are well behind me. <laughs> me <laughs> Linux is just way too much googling for everything that is broken. And
0: hey, but if you like package dependency issues, you're gonna love <laughs> Linux. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> <The best. laughs> um, But
3: I have you know twenty years of. Windows history behind me, and I like to tinker with my OS settings and configuration, and I just like to know what's going on and know where everything is and how to change things and whatnot. See, there's
0: a lib folder somewhere for your Linux stuff. You just have to find which one, and you're good. What you're saying that what well, you're just saying that's actually why uh, I
2: kind of enjoy OS 10 is that I have a I have a pretty good understanding from the kernel all the way up to the apps that i use how everything works and with windows yeah. i i i think windows is a black box
3: maybe that's it's
0: how not I view anymore os 10
3: like,
2: i mean cuz i know, you know i know literally I the entire stack
0: you. for os 10 well os ten is a shiny beautiful looking black box so that's not really fair
2: but i know how the black box works in os 10 because it's all it's all public knowledge i mean apple on its site has diagrams uh, of how all the
3: different
0: systems work and interact with each other
3: microsoft has visio they can do diagrams too
0: <laughs> yeah and really if you just want to get a, a road map of london it looks very similar to how everything communicates and works in windows um, dead ends weird roundabouts, stuff in random places that just you know is built up over time it's just the way it is and if you change it, it'd be a problem um no, all my Windows bashing aside, actually, the one true real big reason that I use OS 10, other than I started using it in like 2002, so that's a lot of uh, inertia, um, is just that I use Sketch app um, for design, and that runs on OS 10 only, and so that would be a huge showstopper for me, because I couldn't design without that. Yeah, so I think all my... I could, but I... Have to use Photoshop. I, I hate Photoshop. So
2: I think all my favorite apps run on OS 10 only. I really I have some apps that I just really 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 love working with.
4: I agree. That's the same with same me. with me. Except for <laughs> Windows. But the problem, <laughs> well, the reason what, that what? I originally switched. Uh, the reason I originally switched to uh, a Mac was, well, I got an iPhone and wanted to write an app for it, and I had to have a Mac to do that. And I made nineteen dollars in the App nice. Store, so worth oh, yeah. it. But, uh, <laughs> um, but that was what initially got me in, and then things just looked so much better than the Windows machines that I had had before that, and was using. let my job this. at the time.
3: <laughs> the ugliness of Windows is a constant sore point.
4: Well, I'm, I'm wondering why. Yeah,
3: I'm wondering what apps you love in Windows. I sore point.
2: Like, what are the Windows apps that you really adore?
3: Yeah. Oh, it's hard to say. It's like cmd.exe. Yes, cmd.exe. I use that one a lot. Um, like my
2: Twitter, my Twitter client. I just I love using my Twitter client. My RSS reader, I think is so great. And my my the way that I
3: read email. I just I love all of these apps. I am a Paint Shop Pro fan when it comes to right. graphics editing. That is a Windows only program. Yep.
0: He has also that oh, really man. good game, uh, Minesweeper. Yes. <laughs> if you're a gamer. Sol- Solitaire. If you're in gaming, Windows is where it's great. at. Minesweeper is
3: really Oh, great. actually, that's another reason that's kept me on Windows over the years. It's been a few years since I've gamed much, but I have gamed plenty in the past, and most of the games, as most people know, are Windows is where it's at.
2: Well, I mean, it's less true now, but uh, yeah, it's traditionally been true.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's kind of interesting how many things are less true now that were yeah. traditionally true with Windows yeah. and OS Ten. I think that's an interesting thing. And now you can I, game I on mean, a Mac. I'm going to be honest that I am one of the few people on Earth who thought that the Windows Eight Start Menu was actually a really good idea, and I really liked what they were doing. <laughs> <sighs> just,
4: just get out now. <laughs>
0: um, it made a lot of sense when you um, like. For me, I, my Windows machine is actually a. Um, a Samsung, um, it's a it's a tablet that has a keyboard but attached to it. It was one of like the first ones, and but it, you know it made actually a lot of sense when you use that. And I could definitely see though if you boot up a VM or something and you're using, or you know, in my case, I boot up a VM and I'm using a big desktop computer with a mouse and a keyboard. That whole start menu thing was weird, um, but man, it worked really good on the tablet. And I <laughs> thought it was a good way to do it, but whatever. I think that they did a really good job with windows 10 on bridging that, that, that gap. Um, but I, I thought that was a, a big, big, bold move. At least they tried something new and people freaked out and want their start menu back. So
4: yeah, I agree you with that. Win. Windows 10 is a, a big improvement over that. And it, it seems like the windows eight stuff would made would have made sense on a tablet, but I mean, I never used it on a tablet. Um, but yeah, it seems like Windows Ten is a, a big advantage over that, Mongol. I was curious if you have any um, interest in the uh, the tablet Surface laptops that Microsoft is producing now.
3: Some, but not like, much. I mean, I've had a Nexus Ten for a couple of years now, and it's it's a pretty great tablet, but it's not something I use frequently. And it's not like oh, I want a better tablet. I'm like, eh, I use this a bit. It's nice, but nothing really compelling there.
0: I actually am right now debating uh, the iPad Pro and the uh, new uh, Surface uh, 4, is it? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I'm leaning towards iPad Pro now and because I, I really just want it for sketching, for... Yeah. You know stylus support and the samsung one that i had from a, a couple of years ago the you know the 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 lag uh, the pen input was just unacceptable and the uh, the lag wasn't as bad as the inability to ever calibrate it to where you felt like no matter what angle you were writing at it was tracking the nib perfectly um it always feels like it was just a millimeter off um no matter what you did if you didn't hold it the exact right way um so very frustrating thing to use. And I just never really got into using it for that. Um, so now it's just a Windows testing machine. But I, I definitely I like those machines and I, I think that they Microsoft's done a great job on the hardware that they've produced recently and I'm excited to see it, um, or to, to use it in person, but I think I'm leaning iPad Pro just watching the reviews of the styluses compared side by side.
4: Sure, sure, absolutely. I I totally agree. I really want an iPad Pro. I'm not really interested in the Microsoft one, but it does look like really nice hardware. Um, and I like the idea of it. And I, I just think it's interesting that like, you know, when we were discussing this topic, there was, you know, we didn't want to just go in and, and do windows bashing and, or Microsoft. Bashing I, I did. I
0: wanted to do that, but <laughs> you guys said, don't.
4: Well, I think that the one to their credit, one thing that that's true is that it's, it's a lot harder to do that. Lately, because they are improving on a lot of different things. You know, they're becoming more open, releasing things that are more cross-platform or open source. TypeScript. And yeah, TypeScript uh, is a great example of that. Uh, Edge
0: doesn't suck.
4: Right. It's not terrible. There's still a lot of problems with it that I don't like. I said it Uh, doesn't
0: suck. (laughs) It's not IE6, which is a great sponsor of our show. Thank you, Internet Explorer 6. I didn't know we had started drinking already. <laughs> uh, it's past <laughs> nine in the morning. So that would be an affirmative. Listen to that dead yeah, silence I think, right I think there. You really- <laughs> see how everyone just got concerned for me. Cause they're actually like, um, well we know it's guys, true. So it, it's, where's reason. the intervention. <laughs> we, we thought we talked about this. Um, yeah, I definitely, we'll um, fix it in post. So to wrap all this up, Thank you Mongla for coming on and defending the indefensible, um, in your hatred of package managers, um, and your usage of windows. Um, I really appreciate it. And I hope that you come back soon because literally anyone at SitePen can come on the show if they just ask. And that's how this works. So that you were actually asked though, specifically, I said, I want Mongla. Um, so anyway that had nothing to do with anything i've got a beard Um,
3: that's just made for podcasts
0: you do and you know what i was gonna say something at the intro but i'm gonna go ahead and leave it to the outro now mangala i said i have mangala here and you know why i said that because i don't know what the right way is that i'm supposed to say because you have i'm gonna think six names um and i don't want to i don't want to offend be offensive and not say all of them but i don't know if you if it's okay to just say what first and last because it's not really, really work that way so um, Mangala is a Sikh, right? You should always right.
3: address me as Mangala Sadhu Sangeet Singh Khalsa.
0: <laughs> yeah, see? So as I say about Mangala, um, yeah, so I, I, thank you for, um, thank you for <laughs> doing that. Do you have a uh, Twitter account that people can follow you at that hopefully is easier to spell? Twitter is too small for my mustache. That's, <laughs> it's very true. He has a lot of hair. It's just all over his head, everywhere. So you're not on Twitter? Nope. Do you have a MySpace account, since you're also a Windows user? Yes,
3: that's big with us (laughs) Windows
0: users. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Mongo is actually a hilarious dude to hang out with Um, when we did Unplugged. You were cracking me up a lot, and also the most terrifying experience of unplugged was, well, we climbed up the this big, um, I don't know what would you call it, like canyon that that's like up overlooking this you know river, and I got up to the top and was freaking out because we're like uh, how high were we up like 150 feet or something? I like, Is we we're really something high. like that, yeah. And I'm sitting there pressed up against the rocks because I cannot get near the edge because I just. I get freaked out. And uh, I, all of a sudden I'm just like watching Monglo bounce around like a mountain goat. And literally he's bouncing around. And I just saw all of a sudden he just jumps and he's off the edge. And I just saw him just like, just go right over the edge. And I'm like, <laughs> I jump up and I am freaking out. And then I see him walk up the other side and he had just like jumped from this very high ledge to one that was like, you know, uh, like six feet below. And then it kind of wraps around or something up the other side. And, but to me, he just jumped off the edge and I was just, <laughs> I had to leave. I left. I'm not in the group photo because I got up and walked back down the side. I couldn't do it. So um, you have no fears. That's that's what I wanted to say about that.
3: Definitely had a lot of fun at Unplugged. That was a great place for some mountain goat rock hopping.
0: Dude, uh, Nick, am I wrong? Was it not mountain goat like? Was that offensive? I, I just meant you're very springy. No, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, I am a wimp. Um, you were the man. I am not the man. All right, guys, that'll do it for the show today. Thank you all for coming out to your computers that you were already at and jumping on a Skype call to do this. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening and subscribing and telling your friends. I'll tell mm-hmm. Or you don't start. tell your friends. Keep One, it a secret. Two. You don't even have to listen. Just subscribe. That's all we really think Download. Um, all right, thanks guys. Bye. Thank you.
3: Bye.
1: Bye. I was rolling down the window, cause I like to feel the wind blow. We got a good thing. Gonna see where the day goes. Take it fast, take it real slow. We got a Good thing.